Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we have a ton of news to break down from draft week, uh, everything that's happened basically since the draft and just before it. There was a bunch of news that broke just before it as well, of course. Um, so we're going to look at all the signings, all the trades, and uh, get to everything that we can and just talk about the draft itself. Um, I think our plan for this coming week, free agency is obviously the Wednesday so our plan for this coming week is going to be probably record either Wednesday or Thursday evening and try and have one up late week as well. This is obviously going to be up on Monday when you're listening to it. So, um, yeah, we'll go with that. But uh, let's let's get into the news and um, we can bounce around here. But I think maybe the easiest way to go is starting with a, definitely a smaller piece of news, but one that uh, we'll just go from like the oldest contract signed uh, in terms of date that it happened uh, and that would be Adam Boquist signing a three-year deal 2.6 AAV with the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, definitely a smaller move compared to some of the other ones that we saw and even signings that we saw uh, later in the week but uh, could be important nonetheless that's for sure yeah the return for the Seth Jones trade essentially this is I mean they're the top five pick with that as well so was it not the cylinder pick or was uh, it- they got both. Oh, fuck. They did, didn't they? Because yeah. wait, the was Jurchek? Yeah, it was Jurchek. Yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, they got both because okay. the only reason yeah. uh, Chicago was picking top 10 this year was because well, a trade we'll get into in, at least, uh, in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> it's funny that Boquist could end up being the third best player out of that trade. Maybe, maybe not, but uh, he probably will be to be honest, but uh, no, I I like this bet. I think enough for Columbus. Like, yeah, I uh, mean, why not? He doesn't have like stunning numbers, but I mean, you can kind of just mess around and find out. if you're Columbus. Yeah. And like at 2.6, it's one of those things where it's like, it probably won't matter for another year or two anyways. And, you would think he'll grow a little bit. And I would say the downside of this is you could probably easily cut bait and trade to another team in a year or two that would absolutely take a flyer on a 23-year-old former top 10 overall pick or whatever. Right-handed and, defenseman with an offensive upside. Like, yeah. Yeah, and the downside, or the upside of it is if he does kind of bloom into what people thought he might be in terms of puck-moving defenseman, you could have some legit insane value on the second or third year of this contract. Yeah, it's pretty much win-win for them. Yep, and for Boquist, you get $7.8 million guaranteed when, you know, it's not like he's had a stunning start to his career in terms of at least analytical numbers, but... No, his defensive numbers are pretty bad, which from the limited knowledge I had of him coming out of his draft was kind of... He was like the high upside offensive guy, so it's probably not the most shocking thing in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So... um yeah, I, I think that's a fine bet to make if you're Columbus. Like, that's the bet you should be making instead of paying that kind of money to, like, a 28-year-old veteran or whatever, so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, mess around and find out. Worst-case scenario, he's not the guy. Move on by the time you're trying to be competitive, but, yeah, you got time. Exactly. Um, let's go do a pair of Minnesota signings. We'll start with a smaller one first. Jacob Middleton, three years, 2.45 AAV per, 26 and uh, 26-year-old left handed defenseman that they picked up 
from San Jose uh, this past deadline. Um, I don't mind Middleton. I think he's a fine bottom pair defenseman. My first reaction when they made this trade is kind of, hmm, that's a decent amount to be paying a guy who might be playing on your bottom pair when you have $14 million of dead cap coming up. But I think the value in terms of a vacuum for sure is okay. Yeah, it's small enough. It's probably not a big deal. We are kind of mentioning before, there's the Camp Sharon thread on it where the number of defensemen coaches trust in the league is smaller than the defensemen that need to be played. Like, he's definitely trustworthy, so I can see the logic. Um, it's probably not a huge upside bet or anything, but it should be fine. Yeah, no, like I, I think unlike the Boquist deal, I doubt there's a scenario where we look at this deal in three years and be like, wow, they just grabbed eight mil in excess value or something like that. Yeah, not a, I just don't want to say there's no chance, but like, let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen. But a guy who can play down your lineup, you can bury him in the defensive zone. If somebody gets hurt or whatever, I'm sure he can probably be your number four, whatever. Yeah, you could do worse than that. For sure. Um, the big move, obviously, they made was Marc-Andre Fleury, which I almost spit my drink out when you texted me this. Two <laughs> years, seven mil is the way Chase phrased it. And then did, failed to tell me that it was seven mil total, not 3.5 <laughs> per year. So I thought they just gave this dude two years at $7 million per. Um, 3.5 is a lot better of a value. Obviously, there is significant risk with that second year of him being 37. Um I don't hate it in terms of the team is trying to be clearly competitive anyways, despite the massive cap hit. So, I mean, Flurry had a down year, definitely more last year. He wasn't, I wouldn't even say he was great by the time when he came to Minnesota. Um, but there's given how empty the goalie market is and how quickly after this move happened, it kind of seemed to dry up. We obviously talked about the Smith and then there's going to be a bunch more moves we get to. I don't hate the bet if I'm Minnesota, especially if, they keep Cam Talbot like, well, they say they are, despite him being very angry about it. Yeah, 100%. We're going to have to kind of grade everything on a curve with such a lack of supply in the goalie market right now. Because at first I was like, mm. but when you account for what else are you going to do if you don't sign Flurry? All of a sudden, I think this actually looks really, really good. Yeah, at the very least, I think it looks okay. Like, I do think we got to find a line of not giving an excuse for signing just clearly yeah. bad goalies to long-term contracts because they can't like, I don't know. Like there's been a, a lot of talk obviously of what different teams will do. And like people are seem so dedicated to just like commit to like a goalie that has been either. I don't even have a specific name or whatever. It's like, Oh, what if you give this guy like a three year deal at four mil, like, or like the Morassic deal kind of thing too. Right. It's like, with some of these names that are getting thrown out, you're probably better just playing some 25-year-old who hasn't gotten a shot anywhere. Yeah. It's – you remember Mike has the tweet. It was like teams love playing guys who we know are bad instead of guys who might be good. We yeah. might be getting to that point in the goalie market too. Definitely right now. That's for sure. I mean, we'll get – we'll be doing our top 20 rankings obviously probably in a month from now or so uh, like we do every summer. But – Remember last year when we were doing it, we had like Jack Campbell 12th after like 30 good games of hockey. And we're like, I guess. Yeah, because he might be good. Uh, he wasn't, but. Well, he was good. He was really good. Well, and happy. He was an all-star. 
That's true. That's <laughs> that's definitely recency bias on my part saying that, but that's yeah, that is funny. But still, like that probably proves our point that like I can't imagine Jack Campbell comes in. Like he's gonna be on the top 20 list this year for both of us, I would assume. I would think so. I don't I can't unless you're like really betting on upside. I can't name 20 goalies I know are better than Jack Campbell right now. And he just had a season where it was like for four weeks, we had to talk about where the Leafs going to get a goalie because this guy might absolutely tank them. And he didn't. Like, he played fine. He didn't play awesome in the playoffs, but he wasn't like the issue. Yeah, he was definitely not a problem in the play. He was kind of horrifying to watch. But <laughs> but his numbers not as in, were like, man. Like, they were they fine. Weren't, yeah, they weren't good, but I think they were in line with Vasilevsky's. He had a higher save percentage than Vasilevsky, but Vasilevsky stole a game and a half, two games, which is the difference, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so. and those games happen to come at a somewhat important time. I hear yeah, they a say bit. game sevens. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, that, that overtime. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how this works with Flurry. He's already 37, so definitely some significant risk. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Cam Talbot. Talbot's agent kind of came out with a quote and was like, we talked to uh, Bill Guerin uh, during the third round and let us know, let him know where we lie. Billy has a lot of decisions to make or something like that, which such a condescending quote calling him Billy. But um, <laughs> Guerin came out and was like, yeah, we don't have to move him. We're not doing, I think the exact word he said was we're not doing shit. Um, he said, Talbot's under contract. We like him. He can come play. We're just trying to make our team better. So, and which I think is fair. Like, I kind of yeah. understand if you're Talbot, like, yeah, you have competition, but you should expect that in the NHL. Every other position has competition, so why can't yours? And it's not like Cam Talbot is – this isn't Vasilevsky, and they're bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury to try and steal starts from him or something. You know, like, Cam Talbot is a fine goalie, but he's not a top five, top ten goalie. Yeah, 100%. And also, like, yeah, like, Cam Talbot is fine. You signed a three-year, under $4 million contract. If you were not prepared for the possibility of them getting a guy who could make you a 1B, I'm not sure what you or your advisors were doing because anyone who signs a contract like that should be ready for that very clear possibility. Yeah, exactly. So um, it doesn't sound like he will be available. It sounds like... uh... Minnesota's going to plan on just keeping him, which fair enough. Like, I highly doubt this gets to a spot where he, like, doesn't come to training camp or something, but you never know. But we will get to that. That's months away anyway, so we'll get to that when it comes to it. Um, let's move on to the next signing. Uh, big one here, and uh, quite the one to take in here. Chris Letang signed six years, $36.6 million, 6.1 AAV. Um I think a lot of the reaction to this was negative right away, just seeing a 6.1 AAV. I think this is more than good value right now, but obviously this contract takes him until when he's like 42, basically. He's already 35. He'll be turning 36. Actually, he just turned 35. So next year will be his year 35 season, but still signing anyone until they're 41 has significant risk. This is clear. Pittsburgh is saying we are all in until Crosby can't help carry us anymore. And Crystal Tang is a big part of that. So I think it's, this is one of those contracts where if like any other team signed it in free agency, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? But Pittsburgh are one of the few where it's like, yeah, it really doesn't matter what your cap sheet looks like in like four years, probably. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love this for Pittsburgh. It's like I would have had a conniption if the Leafs signed this. Yes. But for Pittsburgh, it's like, hell yeah, go for it. Franchise stable. Uh, Either he sucks and your team was going to suck anyways, or he's good and you have another shot at the cup. It's also back or front loaded as well. So he gets eight million salary this year or this coming year and next. 6.2 6.2 in year three, and then 4.8 for the last three of it. Granted, he does have $3.8 million in signing bonuses for years five and six. So I don't know if this is definitely one where he won't uh, he won't want to move, but he's got a full no He'll move. be on LTIR, let's be honest. You would think so, yeah. But he's got a full no move for the first four years and then a modified no trade clause for the last two, it looks like. So starting July 1st, 2026, player submits a 10-team no trade list. So um, that basically, it kind of sounds like to me, they're setting it up for him to play three or four more years. And then in five or six, if they need out of it and want cap space, they can send him to a team that will just LTIR him or they can do that themselves, which makes us even smarter of a deal, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm sure by the time this contract is bad, having to put a contract on LTIR and paying for it will be the least of the Penguins' worries. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, yeah, no, I like, I think Latang is probably underrated in today's game as well, to be honest. Yeah, he's still legitimately good. Like, I doubt and most people would have him as like a top 10 right handed D, but I think, especially just like just right hand. I think, and you know, what's really underrated because I think if you said Latang's really good, a lot of people would be like, Yeah, when he plays, he's played he, like 90 plus percent of the past three seasons, yeah, the or five seasons actually. The narrative hasn't really changed since he missed all of that one cup run in 2016-17. But the past five years, he played 79 games in 2017-18 and all 12 of their playoff games. 65 in uh, 18-19. Which was shortened, right? Or no? No, he actually missed time. So he missed 17 games that year. He missed three the year before. This shortened season was he had 61, so he missed about 10 games that year, um, but did play in all their playoff games. And then he played 55 of the was it 58 that they played last year, I think. So he missed three games in the shortened season last year and then played Thank 78 you. in the full season this past year. So he's missed five or less games in five of the la- or three of the five last seasons. And one of those, he missed 10 instead of five, which, yeah, yeah he hasn't been this absolutely completely injury prone guy that he definitely has the narrative of being. And it kind of looked like he might be for a couple year stint there in his, uh, his career. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like this deal. I think um, it'll provide value when they need it most and probably will hurt them when they don't really care about it. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Win-win. Yep, kind of hard to – and, you know, they get to keep what seems like a fan favorite around there. Uh, it'll be interesting seeing what Malkin does here, but at least they keep one of their, um, you know, of their second and third biggest players. Yep. So, yeah, I thought this uh, was absolutely Yep. Let's move on to one that little, uh, well, not a little, just disgusting, but uh, the Philadelphia Flyers make a trade for one Tony D'Angelo and then sign him to a two-year deal at $5 million AAV. So there's a lot to break down here because obviously there's the aspect of Tony D'Angelo is a known piece of shit. Now, 
I'm trying to be careful how I say this because press conference, he said he was not racist, which is always a good sign when that's a question you get asked point blank at press conferences. Yeah, obviously. But like, I do think I have seen a couple people point out that D'Angelo probably isn't worse than a large chunk of the NHL. He's just stupid enough to say it out loud or in public. And which it goes both ways because a, that does make you worse in terms of, at least just like, (laughs) it's something that the team has to deal with. Yeah. It's just a headache. Like even if you want to be politically neutral on it, it's still a pain in the ass to deal with. Yes. 100%. Now, the whole idea of like this dude is the worst guy in the league. There is no one worse. That is probably overrated quite a bit. Yeah, it's yeah. That He's being probably said, louder. Like in any large group of people, like the NHL, you're you're gonna find a lot of people with these views, right? Yeah, especially rich white dudes who have grown up rich and white, right? Like, yep. Yeah, so, when you pre-select for for white people and wealthy people. It's not that being said, regardless of even if you can somehow look the other way on like the political stuff or you feel, I mean, you feel your room is just a big a piece of shit, which is not the brag you think it is, right? Why are you giving up a second, third and fourth for this dude who has had one really good season and that's been it? Maybe you could argue two and then immediately had such was such a distraction to the team that after having 53 points in 68 games, they went, yeah, no, we just cannot have you on our team anymore. Yeah, that is not a good sign. So he goes to Carolina, puts up 51 and 64. And Carolina does a thing that we all knew they were going to do is go, oh yeah, no, this was just a one-year thing. We took advantage of him being cheap for bad reasons, which doesn't let Carolina off the hook. But then Carolina turns around and gets a second, third, and fourth for this dude. Yeah, that's a lot of freaking picks for just his RFA rights then, right? Yeah, and then so they did sign him to a two-year, $5 million deal. But, like, we haven't even got to the point that Philly sucks. Yeah, Philly is huge for those picks. Yeah, absolutely. And they just came out and they're like, yeah, we don't really know if Ryan Ellis is even going to be healthy this year. Well, that was the the one, too, where somebody was like, I think this – Somebody in the know, I forget exactly who, I apologize, I can't cite them exactly, but they were like, I'm pretty sure this means they're done with Ellis. What? Like, you traded for him last year and you're already like, yep, time to move on. He's only got five more years left, but. Yeah, well, they traded for him last year because, and he only played four games. Because Nashville knew this guy's body was breaking down. It's like. So. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's another move. Their whole offseason has been like, what do you think you are? Because like, it's clear they think they are actually a good team. And I just, unless Carter Hart is as good as the hype that Carter Hart had coming out of uh, junior, I don't see this team making playoffs. Yeah, like, they're going to need they're, something pretty aggressive from Hart. They're going to be running a top two right-handed D of Rista Linen and D'Angelo. So, God bless Carter Hart. Even if he has a true, like, 920-level season, he might only put up a 910 because of the team in front of him. Yeah. So, 
I don't know. None of this move made any sense for me from a Philly standpoint. Not the player, not – I mean, the contract is two years. It is what it is. But, like, kind of seems a little unnecessary. And then also just, like, this doesn't really fit your team. No, selling selling picks to get 1.2 or whatever you expect out of D'Angelo right now is not what I would be doing if I was really – no, me either. So ah, that's a bit of a head scratcher for sure. Um, from Carolina's side, I don't want to give them too much credit for signing a known piece of shit as well. Like, but in a vacuum, that's very good value. I don't yeah, know how we don't have, that, but we don't account for how we got here. This is amazing. Yeah. So, and I mean, like, this is what again. I got to be very careful with how I work my my sentence here the idea of picking up someone that the market definitely underrates for a year and then flipping him when it comes time to pay is exactly the kind of thing you expect the hurricanes organization to do now you would hope that's more players like jesse pooley or something where they just had a low shooting percentage and that's why everyone is down on them not they got kicked off their team for being a massive asshole but yeah, usually it's like, oh, this guy's RAPMXG is outperforming his actual results because he's on a bit of a PDO slump. Not he's a massive racist, but you know. Yeah, so it's I, I let's move on. Adrian Kempe signs a new deal with the LA Kings, four years, five point five million dollars. Kempe 25 years old, left wing, right wing, can play either side. Uh, so it's taking place 29 and a UFA. Um, another pretty tidy piece of work here, I think, by the Kings. I I really love what they've done this offseason. Kempe doesn't exactly play defense really well, but as a winger, you probably aren't asking him to do that. No, he's not good defensively. He never really has been, but yeah, he doesn't really have to, and Whatever, he's a fine player. Take a bet on him. This is another contract I think is pretty movable if you see fit. And mm-hmm. if not, you have the space. Yeah, you do a lot worse than this. I don't think it's an amazing contract, but... No, I don't think they're going to get, like, a ton of excess value. But at the same time, like, this is kind of the advantage of having guys like Byfield, Kaliev, um, and then on some of their upcoming prospects, obviously, like Turcotte, uh, and um, who's the defensive? Brant Clark still on their RFA contracts for two to three more seasons. Is even if Kempe gives you four million dollars in rebound, real value, you can uh, LA can handle that. Yeah, and he's still young. I, he's pretty unlikely to outperform this contract, in my opinion. But he should be you know, right around, if not slightly below, but you'll be able to move on at any point. So. Yeah. And like he had 54 points in 78 games last year. If he plays at like a 50 point pace throughout the duration of his contract, I don't think you're complaining about that for like a middle six winger, basically. Yeah, that's fine. And if, like I said, if a cap crunch does come, I can't imagine it will be movable. So yeah, this will be their Tyler Johnson or Alex Corn contract. Maybe not even that bad. Yeah, the Kalorn contract, I think, is a pretty good example. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I I really, I have enjoyed uh, LA's offseason. 
this one definitely wasn't as much of a slam dunk as obviously some past moves have been, but um, you know, obviously the Fiala trade we talked about last week, they're starting to really slowly build a solid surrounding core. They just need one of a couple of these prospects that have been really, really hyped to actually hit. Yeah. Yeah. Like Byfield putting up a 50 point game or something is huge. Yeah, I would like uh, 50 point yes. season. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, obviously. Or like Turcotte coming in and just like dominating <laughs> possession in like a 3C role or whatever would be massive for this team. Yeah, 50 point uh, game would be kind of cool too. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be, uh, I don't know what the points per what point per game record is. I'm assuming Gretzky probably has it, but it's 10. It's Daryl Sittler. I was stuck oh, in okay. my room of that day. Good old St. Jacobs native. There we go. So, yeah, just kind of five times the record, but that'd be kind of interesting <laughs> to watch. That would be fun. You didn't know Daryl Sittler had that record. I did. Now that you say it, I definitely did. Yeah. But I think it's on the Sittler house, like by Martin's Garage there. Probably. I think it's on the sign. I don't know. Well, For I context, um, where we grew up playing pond hockey is uh, literally on Daryl Sittler's childhood house's front lawn, and there's a sign for it. Yeah. Um, I just figured it's a points record. It's probably not a bad guess to guess Gretzky. Gretzky, yeah, that is sick of that. Um, all right, let's move on. Another trade and then signing as well. Uh, Vili Husso gets flipped to the Detroit Red Wings um, for a third-round pick. Uh, his signing rights, I should say. He was a UFA, obviously, or slotted to be a UFA this upcoming offseason. Um, so his rights get flipped and he then signs a new contract as well with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, three years, $4.75 million. So it looks like they will go in with a tandem of Huso and uh, Nadalkovic next year, two very unproven goalies with small amounts of good track record. I don't hate the pet, to be honest. Yeah, I like it. Spread. Spread your uh, risk out over two goalies. Chances are, because they're goalies, one of them probably won't be good, and the other one will be. And that's more than fine. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, it's better betting on two guys that at least have had some success at times. Um, they can, they're, you know, like they're cheaper. Their team has enough cap space. They still have $31 million in cap space. Um, and the Zadina is their biggest player to resign, I think. Um, so they have the cap space for the next couple of years where even if Huso for whatever reason is like a 902, you can eat that $4.75 million if you really need to. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it should be fine. I have a question for you about giving up a third for his rights, though. We know mm-hmm. that everybody tampers like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Does that not make moves like that confuse the hell out of you? I always find it weird when we both both those things are true at the same time yeah i i kind of do see what you're saying because like everyone has their free agent contracts done the minute july 1st for sure because they tamper like crazy i do wonder though if like there's some value in as the team showing to the player hey we're making a legit commitment to you yeah and then you do get like the six days where it's like, oh, you're only supposed to be talking to us, right? Because I, I would imagine like if it's a guy you trade for and are actively trying to resign, you would probably be a little more stingy on how much they're talking to outside players or teams, sorry. 
Yes, um, I would think you would be very stingy on that. That doesn't mean there's no contact, but at least then you could probably limit down where it's like, St. Louis probably didn't give a shit who he was talking to, right? Like, yeah. So if you're Detroit, and the third seems a little aggressive, but that seemed to be the market rate right, this offseason. Um, giving up a pick so you know you can guarantee, even if, let's say, it cuts half the offers. And, and let's be honest, too, it's not like Detroit is a massive landing spot probably in free agency right now. Like, I doubt it. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe the biggest value is probably just showing that you're making a commitment past just the money. And also, obviously, you get seven days of just unrestricted access where you can one-on-one sit with him without having to worry and go through like four back channels to avoid tampering or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. So I don't know. I, I do. I think it's a valid point where it's like, it is always interesting, but I think for teams, especially like Detroit where they've been in a rebuild, it's not like Detroit is the greatest city to live or anything like that. If you're not a super attractive free agent destination, you might have to go and take an extra step to try and help people get there. You know? Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And what you said too, I bet you there is a lot to that human value of like, oh, they made a commitment to me. Now I'm like excited to stay here or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I, again, I don't know like how much value does that hold? I don't know. Is that worth a third or would it only be worth a, a fifth or whatever? Again, I, I really couldn't That's- tell you. Let's be honest. It's probably not worth a third, but it's also probably not the end of the world. Yeah, I I think that's a fair way to put it, especially for a team that, you know, I don't want to say you should just waste picks, but it's not like they've had no picks in the past couple drafts. They've definitely filled up as well, right? Yeah, and in all the draft stuff I do, Iserman kills whatever picks he does have, so they'll be fine. Exactly. And and the other thing, too, is like I, I do think sometimes we get caught up in when a team has so many picks, it's like, oh, why don't you just take them all? And I think NHL teams maybe don't go far enough, but I think analytics maybe stretch it too much the other way. It's like you can still only have 50 contracts under at a time. So even if you're so confident in drafting that you have 16 picks and you think you're going to go 16 for 16, you're just physically not going to be able to sign all of those. Yeah. But, and even like if you could sign them all, you probably can't give them all as much development, like invest in their mm-hmm. development as much as you wish you could. Yeah. Now thinking you're going to go 16 for 16 is the exact reason why you should probably be picking as much as you can, because we know there's going to be times where you're way overconfident and eight of those are just never even going to sniff the NHL anyways. But yeah, that's true. There's still a line somewhere there. So, um, all right, let's get to another reset. Actually, you know, let's go to another goalie trade real quick. And then a contract that just got signed today. Uh, Alex Gorgiev gets traded from the New York Rangers to the Colorado Avalanche. And a little bit of a surprising move to me. I don't know if this caught you off guard as much as it did me, but uh, the Avs send back a third, a fifth, and a third. So two thirds and a fifth. Um, This is a pretty big price for a dude who really hasn't been good in three seasons. Gorgiev's like three games against good games against the Leafs must have been the most valuable three game performance in history. Yeah, like he's been just okay. Like he's just an okay. He's like the thirty second best goalie in the league, probably. He's he's like been aggressively mediocre. Which, to be fair, in Colorado is what we call a cup caliber goalie. (laughs) 
But like Darcy Kemper, and, and maybe maybe they're trying to find traits like Kemper because obviously Kemper had his moments down, but they also knew he could steal a game if they needed them to. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Kemper it, was good in the regular season as playoffs. Yeah, like Kemper was legitimately good. And that's the and but like I don't think like Kemper also had a history of being good. I don't think Gorgiev, like Kemper's history was way better than Gorgiev's when they brought him in. Yeah. That being said, maybe what they're looking at is like, we just need a guy that we know is going to be fine enough for a while. We can get over some warts, but if we need them to steal one game, like just either whether that's game 61 of the regular season or game two of the playoffs, if we only ask him once in a while and he, we just need him to steal one of those games, maybe that's what they're kind of looking at. I don't know if that's the smartest thing in the world. I think it's pretty clearly what they're looking at. They're going to prioritize keeping their skaters together and just patch the goalies. Yeah, and like when you're a team as good as Colorado, maybe that is the right way forward. Yeah, I mean, you just won the cup essentially doing that. So it's kind of tough to argue against. Is it the best in the long run? Who knows? It is what I would do in their circumstances, though, given the glut of skaters they have. Yeah, I don't mind the idea of giving just – kind of mediocre guys, you know, the, the net and not having to worry about having a stud or whatever. I just don't know if Gorgiev is the exact guy I would have targeted if I was Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I can't, I can't believe how much it costs, but yeah, two thirds and a, and a fifth or whatever. And then 3.4 for three uh, years is what they signed him to walks them right to UFA at 29 years old. Um, I, my biggest concern is they're going to have a, uh, a tandem of Gorgiev and Frank Hughes, is that going to get you 82 games? I think I like Frank Hughes a lot when he's healthy. He's never healthy. You know how the Leafs had a lot of a lot of Shelgren moments this year? Yeah. That Colorado's probably looking at something similar at some point next year. Absolutely. And like they do have like Hunter Miska, I think it is in the minors. And you know, they have a couple guys where they don't really hate if they have to come up and play. Um, actually, Hunter Miska is UFA, so we'll see if he re, re uh, signs. But uh, Eustace Anunin as well, and Trent Miner are two prospects, and I think Anunin for sure they would be okay calling up and down if they need it. But still, like, if you want to know how hurt Frank Hughes has been in terms of a goaltender, here's what he's played in the past three years. He played 21 games this past year, uh, and then obviously seven in the playoffs where you know he was just okay. Nothing in the bubble year. He was hurt the entire year. 34 the year before when um, uh, Grubauer went down uh, and played really well. That's when he kind of really showed that he was a good goalie. And, you know, and then six playoff games that did not go so well. And then that's kind of been it. He played 49 games in the AHL the year before. So at least that he stayed healthy for. But he's been in the NHL full time for three years and hasn't given more than 34 games. That was once. And in one of the games, one of the years, he just put up zero. So if you're expecting Gorgiev to be a 50-game guy, man, I don't know. Yeah, it seems. It kind of, and like, Fancus is 32 as well. It's not like he's a 26-year-old where it's like, oh, the injuries could be behind him. Yeah, I didn't realize how old he was. Anyone who busts onto the scene late, I always think they're way younger than that. Yeah, for sure. And, And like, Oh, to me, it just kind of seems like they are betting on him, Frank, who's being healthy and being able to play like 35, 40-ish games. And, and then Gorgiev, the other 42 to 47, which 
if that does end up working, sure, I would just be a little worried, I think, if I was uh, Colorado. Yeah, I would be very worried. Um, but, like I said, they're definitely just betting our skaters are so good it'll be fine. And they may very well be right. They were yeah, it's right not past, so I respect that. Not an unreasonable bet to make, to be fair. So Yeah, because they're so stacked. Yeah. Um, and it kind of sounds like they're going to be leaning towards re-signing Natushkin. Uh, the latest report I saw, nothing official yet, but between five and six, like over five, under six, I wouldn't be surprised to see like 5.5 times five, which would be gross, but we'll get to that if it comes there, obviously. Yeah. Um, let's get to one that absolutely shocked me. I, I need your opinion on this because I can't personally understand it. The Nashville Predators re-signed Philip Forsberg eight mm-hmm. years million. Yeah, this... So, like, I've really liked Forsberg in the past. Uh, And he's been amazing. He just had a career year and everything. One, I don't know why this fits the Predators window. I don't know why... I don't know what the Predators window is, to be fair, which is a problem in and of itself. Um, And then, like, half the league had a career year this year. So the guys who have been good before but not, like, crazy good that just randomly exploded are the people I would be really concerned about. And Philip Forsberg is one of those players who I'm also pretty sure I'd career high in shooting percentage this year. Those yeah, they, are usually contracts that don't look good. Very this good. is this is the classic winger who was very underrated from analytics for like three or four years of his career. And then by the time people caught on to him that he's actually good, it lined up with his one massive shooting year. And now he's probably going to be overrated. He definitely is, I would say overpaid in terms of I don't know how many more years he's going to give you 8.5 million dollars in value. But if it is even a couple it's not going to last for eight years. That's for sure. Yeah. He shot uh, rounding up 19% this year. Yeah. His career average. It was 12 coming in. And he scored 42 goals and 42 assists. So again, like you, you put 42, you know, like you're probably down to what, like a 30 goal season, which is still great. Yeah. Well, the problem is too, right. Say, he regresses where he's just like a really good play driver. Like you said, 30 goal season. Congratulations. You have William Nylander, but you're paying him eight and a half for the rest of his thing. Like for the, probably the worst years of his career. Probably. Yeah. Almost certainly either. Maybe he does destroy an age curve, but I kind of doubt Philip Forsberg's the guy's is going to break that. Not like routinely anyways, you know, like sometimes you see yeah. just a one-off year where it's like, oh yes. Okay. He popped back up for that year, but yeah. Yeah. I, I just, if any team would have signed this in free agency, I don't think I like, I would have been like 8.5 feels like too much for Phil Forsberg. Yeah. And it's the term that's killer. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, as you said, what is Nashville? And we, we talked about this last week with the McDonough trade too. It's like, what do you think you are? They are trying to be the seventh best team in the West. Yeah, because if this was some, like, I don't think they have the space, but again, if you're the Penguins and you sign this, like, who cares what you are in a few years? Go. Yeah, like 
if the Capitals are like, we don't know if TJ Oshie is going to be healthy this year, let's sign Phil Forsberg. It's like, I don't really, that's probably too much, but like, go for it. At least you have a play driver you can put alongside like Ovechkin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But are you winning a cup with Philip Forsberg as your core forward? I doubt it. Um, we'll see. And then, like, off, like again, getting back to the whole money aspect of it, like this team now has is in three years from now they're going to have eight point five tied up in a thirty year old Philip Forsberg, eight million tied up in a thirty four year old Matt Duchesne, eight million tied up in a thirty two ish year old Ryan Johansson. Uh, 9 million tied up in a 35-year-old Roman Yossi, 6.75 tied up in a 36-year-old uh, Ryan McDonough, and 6.25 tied up in a 35-year-old uh, Matthias Eckholm. Like, yeah. that's a ton of money. There's a lot of money for a really long time. How many of these guys were all, like, criminally underpaid, like, three years ago? Uh, for yeah. sure, Yossi. For sure, Ekholm. Ellis was back on that team. Forsberg was. Yeah, exactly. And instead of you know letting them walk, and even Ellis, they paid. They just got lucky that Philly was desperate enough to take him. Yeah, yeah, they made the mistake with Ellis. They just patched up their own hole. Yeah. So, but like those guys are just, and even like Granlin, they're they have five million tied up, which is funny now. But like thirty-three year old Mike Mikhail Granlin, like. When you add him to the mix, they have $51.5 million tied up into eight players that are going to be 35 or 30 or older, most of them 33 or older, probably 35 or older. And I just don't know where you get with that. And the three defensemen I named are all left-handed deep. Yeah, I was – remember when they used to have, like, the the dream top four and the hand in this was all arranged perfectly? Yeah. Yeah, those days are gone. Yes, absolutely. I don't know. I I just don't I don't understand the vision for this team. Like it, it legitimately just seems like they just want to sneak into playoffs, maybe upset around like Saros goes off for a round or whatever, but like it's gonna be have to be one hell of a miracle run for this team to do anything. And if that's what you're absolutely betting on, it just feels like you're way behind to start, you know. Yeah, you when anytime you have to say, yeah, but we have, and then you insert the the least stable thing in hockey, it's pretty concerning. Yes, 100 percent Um, all right, let's start moving to I mean, some of those are around draft day, but let's start and with the one big move that happened just before the draft, and then a bunch of moves that happened right around and in the draft as well. Uh, the big move that happened before the draft, the Ottawa Senators make the splash of the draft and take pick up Alex DeBrinket from the Chicago Blackhawks for a first round pick, which was seventh overall, obviously um, a second round pick, which was 39th overall this year and a third round pick in 2024. So a first, a second, and third, the first was a very uh, like a high pick top 10, obviously uh, that is still not enough for a multiple time 40 goal scorer who is 24 years old. No, that's a whole I was so pumped when Ottawa made this trade. And even like, even with the reports that they're not talking contract extension just yet, which was disappointing. I was really hoping it was going to come with some kind of contract extension. 
Um, but understandably not. He's an RFA this year. So there was a lot of just kind of easy pickings of like, oh, what is Ottawa doing? He's just going to walk. It's like, well, like clearly they have enough confidence that he's not just going to force his way out in a year that they would be willing to make this move. And I think regardless, like the other thing that I've been kind of coming around on too, because I was, I was very on the fence about whether I thought they should trade the pick. In fact, to was one of the only names I was okay with them trading the pick for. We were talking about it that day, funny enough. Yeah. Um, because there was rumors of like Josh Anderson that was coming out. It's like, no, you don't trade the seventh overall pick for Josh Anderson or Jeff Petrie or whatever. Alex Brinkett is absolutely fine. But the, the thing that like I saw a bunch of people doing is like, oh, he's an RFA in two years. He's just going to walk. It's like, even if he does, A, I think you said your model had him making up a lot of that value anyways in two years. But B, at some point, this team needs to get better. You can't just not make moves because it's like, what if we lose this dude in two years? You have two years now to prove why he should want to stay with you for eight more after that. Yeah, 100%. You can, should be able to take that step and to bring it could be a big reason why. And yeah. even if they fail, he's still an RFA. Well, and that's the thing, right? So like... Your downside you know, is so capped there. And yeah, yeah. so I have... Two to three years, maybe probably two and a half years, he'll probably have made up the expected value of all those picks. But there's almost a 0% chance Alex Dabrinkit uh, fails to be an NHL player. There's a really good chance a bunch of those picks don't turn into anything. Kevin Korshinsky, who is a reach, I think, as well, was he not? Yeah, my my model doesn't like him. Although it, I, had, I saw a couple other people at him lower, too, like just like, I test guys as well. Yeah, he was, I think he was more around like pick 10. So the thing was in this draft, Cutter Gauthier might not belong in this group, but apparently Philly loved him anyways. So there was a pretty clear top six, and Ottawa was picking seven too. Yeah. So when you, you're that pick where everything opens up, not the ideal spot to be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to look for him in uh, – he was 11th, I guess, in Bob McKenzie's rankings. So, um, but, but, yeah. Like, McKen- six, McKenzie's... five spots up. But... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, five spots up at that point is sounds not quite as bad as it actually is because that's still when the curve is moving really quickly. Yeah, I, I, that's actually not as bad as I thought, but still. Um, yeah. Regardless, like I would much rather have to bring it than uh, any any of those prospects, basically, unless like Shane Wright fell all the way down to seven, which it's looking like it was a chance for a second, but it didn't happen, obviously. So as a Senators fan, I'm pumped for this. And like, you know, obviously there's a little bit of worry because I saw people like comparing to the Matthew Shane trade too. It's like, well, these are like two really different things. Like yeah, the Matthew Shane so trade... Younger. They traded their first that was unprotected for a year for a guy who was, yeah, three years older at the time and a team they thought was winning the cup. Which, again, bad calculation. But this trade is the piece that's supposed to help you move towards making playoffs and stuff and be a part of your core for five or six years. Obviously, a contract will need to get done. But again, like you have two years to sell him on that. And it's not like this is a team with nothing around. He's going to be playing with the likes of Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, maybe Brady Kachuk, you know, Drake Batherson. Like there's a good amount of talent, especially in this top six where it's like 
Yes, you have an absolute reason that you can sell him on staying here. And if you can't do that, it's probably a failure on you. Yeah, and I think, you know, in football, how they always talk where the quarterback has to be good enough that you can see what you have in guys. Mm -hmm. Some outside talent, and Dabrinka brings a lot of it, it's probably pretty good to give you a better idea. There's some unquantifiable value that having a guy like Dabrinka helps you know what you have in Stuzzle and all those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the more time you over, have to play with, the better idea you get. Exactly, exactly. I, I was absolutely over the moon with uh, this move from Ottawa. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, the the contract stuff develops. But um, you know, right now I'm just pumped that Alex Debrickett is a member of my favorite hockey team. Yeah, as you should be. This move floored me. I did not see this coming. I couldn't believe they didn't have to give up like one of their top prospects and more better picks, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Like if you you told me that Debrinkit, if you would have told me even a week ago, Debrinkit was getting moved without multiple first or recent first round picks involved, I would have been like, what? Like the yeah. only prospect that would have been untouchable for Ottawa was Jake Sanderson. But I thought there was for sure they were going to have to give up a couple of their guys and like, Ridley Gregg, who like isn't awesome, but like he's a he's a very solid prospect, but not like a game breaker or anything like that. But I thought they were gonna have to give him like him and like Sokolov or someone who again is projects to be like a bottom six, middle six kind of winger. And then like these the, are the kind of the prospects picks. that usually get crammed into those trades. Exactly. And then picks and probably or like another first next year that's protected or something like that. The fact that they gave up the first, which again is seventh overall, but also in a weaker draft. By all accounts, anyways. Um, and then a second, which 39th overall, a high enough pick for Chicago, but and then a third, like that, that's just the Brinkett is so much worth so much more value than that. Yeah, I looked, um, I moved, I moved the chains a little bit to extend the sample side between picks five and nine. I think I used the sevens right in the middle there. I have like 45 guys drafted and three of them were as good as to bring it. And it was like Couturier, Shifley, and someone else over an eight-year period. Like, yeah. You're Did you not get from draft yet? No. Okay. So, but yeah, like that's, that's the thing. It's like, it's a very small chance you actually hit on a guy like that. Right. So um, yeah. I, I, lo I love this deal from Ottawa's perspective. We'll get into another trade before we really get into Chicago's perspective. Um, because they also then went and flipped Kirby Doc for the 13th overall pick in this draft. Um, in a vacuum, I think this trade is okay for Chicago in terms of just pure value. Doc hasn't been great, but he has pedigree as well. Like he was just a former third overall pick a couple of years ago. But you can look at this two ways. I think, A, teams give way too much leverage to guys they picked high, even though it's clear they're not good. If that's what Chicago really sees and they want to get off of this quick, the 13th overall pick is not a horrible return. Yeah, it looks bad, and I respect having the balls to pull the trigger on it if you think that's what needs to be done. And, like, Nazar was a that kind of small-skilled player that a lot of fans on Twitter really, really liked. So, I mean, but maybe it'll look good. But this is still a tough look. Yeah, especially because like Kirby Doc has been, it hasn't been great, but you know, the points are starting to come. I mean, this past year was a tough one for sure. 20, 26 points in 70 games. 
excuse me, and he didn't really drive play at all. No, he wasn't like a, a negative in drive. Like he was just average defensively and slightly below average offensively. But like, so, and I don't know, a couple of years ago, he like he's taken steps every year he's played is I guess my point. And yeah. And the thing is too, if you make like a projection model, like Doc has been bad. There's pretty much no way around that. If you look at guys who've been bad through 18 to 21, the worst guys who've been bad through 18 to 21 are always Miko Rantanen, Nichushkin, and Niederreiter. Guys like that. Most of them end up really good anyways, because being in the, even if you're shit in the league, being in the league at that age just projects to be so big. That was another big point, a feather in Pugliarvi's cap when he struggled. It's like, yeah, but struggling in the league at 18 still projects you to be pretty good at worst. Yeah, exactly. Like it just, I don't know. I, I, and so it depends what they do going forward. Cause maybe they're going for just a hard, hard teardown. And if that's the case, fine. But you can't say we're going to take a step back. We want to enter a rebuild or whatever, and then trade away your 21 and 24 year olds, especially a 24 year old who's really good. And then like, they have to move Patrick Kane now. I was going to say Kane and Taser, come on, right? Yeah, as long as, but that's the thing. They don't have control over that. And like, so then I guess the argument becomes like, if you know they're staying, is it better to just get assets from get? Like, like, is it a sunk cost thing? But like, they have to move these two. They have to. Yeah. I can't so, imagine they would want to stay. You mean, would, especially Kane, who's like, like Kane, imagine Kane on a second line where he doesn't have to worry about driving play too much. Oh God! Imagine him as like this, yeah, on that second line, and then just destroying the power play. Yeah, like he put up ninety-two points in seventy-eight games last year, and sixty-six and thirty-six the year before. Like he's been well over a point per game for four years now. And again, like obviously we've gotten into it where we've had him lower on rankings than maybe consensus would because he doesn't drive play, but if he can get to a situation where he doesn't need to be the guy driving play, there's nothing wrong with paying a guy, especially because you would assume Chicago would retain up to half of that contract, paying a guy $7 million on your cap to go put up 90 points. I will take that any day of the year. Yeah. 100%. Any sort of contender should probably be all over. Yeah. So I guess that's the biggest thing with the doctor. Assuming they retain, by the way. Yes, yeah, it's a lot harder to swallow the 10.5 cap hit for, for that. But I would assume, like, it's one year. I don't know why they would not retain, you know? Like, you probably open up the amount of teams that could be bidding on him by, like, fourfold if you oh, yeah. retain half you probably, the salary. You probably get almost every contender in the league in if you're willing to. Yeah, as long as, yeah, especially if you say, like, hey, we'll retain five mil of this and we'll even take a contract back because they have 15 mil cap space. Yeah. Yeah. They can gladly take whatever your bad contract is. But so here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that pisses me off too. They're not qualifying Dylan Strom or Dominic Kubelik as RFAs. You're telling me you couldn't get anything for (laughs) Dylan Strom as an RFA? Nothing. Yeah. I don't know if like Strom's just done with the organization, but Strom's numbers are fine. Their big problem was he didn't get along with the coach. They have a new coach, don't they? I think so, yeah. Like Yeah, new I, coach from outside the organization. So if your big problem is you didn't get along with your old coach, that's uh that doesn't sound like an issue to me. Unless Strom's yeah, like, I'd rather die than another play game for you or something, but 
But even if that's the case, qualifying as an RFA, I can't read. He does have arbitration, so I know that was part of it. They were scared that, like, what his arm number would be. But I don't think it was unrealistic. I think it was, like, four mil. Yeah. You're telling me that no team, no team would give him an asset to get Dylan Strom a one-year four mil. Any Strom's asset good. at all. One-year four mil, he's good. He's six foot three and a former top three pick in a stack draft. Somebody's talking themselves, not just into Dylan Strom, but into giving up something decent for him. Yeah. And even like, same with Dominic Kubelik. Like, I don't think his qualifying offer could have been more than, well, okay, his might have been a little higher because his last base salary is $4 million on his last year. So his might have been a little higher, to be fair. But still, like, I just, the fact that they couldn't get anything for these guys' rights at all, or, you know, just give them the rights and, and flip them later, like, I just, I don't understand what the, they go, we're going to rebuild. They give up their 24 year old. Who's amazing. A 21 year old recently top three pick. And then a 25 and 26 year old that like seem like prime guys to flip for assets. If you're going to move. And also you just need bodies around like Kuba league's probably an average or slightly above average NHL player. You need humans like that when you're a rebuilding team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I just, I, I, I don't get it. I really do not. If they and maybe maybe I'll change my tune if they trade both Taves and Kane and just go completely scorched earth. But I, I don't know if that's the right way to do it because it's always tough because you know. But like I don't think Tampa went completely scorched earth when they rebuilt. Like they had, from what I understand, I was seven at the time when they were drafting like Headman, and I think <laughs> I would have been eight when they drafted Stamkos. But like from what I understood, they they had guys around them still. Like Saint Louis was there. Um, Cavalier would have been there, yeah, and like so they have like veterans around as well, and you know, again, like I, I can't, it, it's tough to bring up Toronto when they haven't won around, but like Toronto had their veterans away, and like you can maybe uh, agree or disagree with how they handled losing JVR for nothing, and obviously the Cadre trade, the return was just very underwhelming. Um, and all that stuff, but like they didn't go scorched earth, and that was a massive reason why they took a jump from 2015 to 2060 and made the playoffs right away instead of pandering around for four years. Yeah, <laughs> the only reason Matthews is 0 5 in the playoffs instead of 0 3 is because they kept all those guys. Yeah, exactly. So, um, are they 0 6 now? Um, six now. yeah, it depends if you got Columbus, I guess, as a playoff matchup or missing, but. I don't know what's worse, <laughs> to be honest. Um, let's not get into it for loose fans' sakes. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, I really don't, I don't understand at all. Um, from Montreal's perspective, there's a lot more to get into uh, on this trade as well, because Montreal flipped the 13th overall pick. They got the 13th overall pick originally because they traded Alexander Romanov to the New York Islanders for the 13th overall pick and then flipped it for Kirby Doc. And they gave up picks, I think, in both of those trades as well. Uh, let me get the exact details. I don't – I'm interested to get your – I don't love this – like, I, I I really don't know if I think this is good from Montreal's part. So they, they give up uh, – they send Romanov to the Islanders with a fourth in 2022. That was 98th overall, get number 13. They then flip 13 and 66 for Kirby Doc. So I guess that's too. We got to be talking. They flipped thirteen, and then they all the, the Blackhawks also got sixty six for Kirby Doc as well, which obviously way less value, but that's a third round pick that still does have value. Still not nothing yet. Um, 
if I'm Montreal, like I, I think getting the 13th overall pick for Romanov is a good deal. And I can that was a the deal slam dunk deal. Oh my god, that was amazing. Yeah, I compared that deal to like kind of remind me, and it's obviously not the same at all because they're not like different players, but like the Griffin Reinhardt deal, where the pick that yep. got Marzell, that's kind of what it reminded me to like a lesser extent because Romanov's are, uh, older and obviously has actually played some NHL games, but like I think that's kind of why you should be trying to stay away from him because I don't, I don't really think the NHL games he's played are amazing. He's been better than I thought, to be honest, but like he's just kind of been like a third pair defenseman. Yep, he's like a four or five, like incredibly forgettable. The kind of guy that you should trade a. You know, now, he, he is twenty two, four or something. He is twenty two, so maybe if you think, well, he got a little better last year, maybe he takes another step forward. I guess. <coughs> Bless you. <laughs> Couldn't get the mute off in time there, Phil. That's all good. Um, like he he did he was defensively responsible in this past season, which is encouraging, I guess. But, like, the biggest problem I have in terms of the 13th is, why are the Islanders giving this up? What does Alex Romanov do to help this team now? This trade made no sense. Also, if this guy's calling card as well, his offensive upside isn't there, but it's pretty good defensively. Here's the Islanders. You don't need to invest a 13th (laughs) overall pick in that. You've got that covered. Yes, absolutely. So, like, from Montreal's perspective, I don't hate the trade of, you know, it's like, well, if we want to rebuild, like, reset this, and we're not going to be good for three years. Romanov's going to be 25, 26 that time, and probably asking for a payday right around that, too, right? So, I don't hate the idea of flipping him, but I just don't really understand why you go and then move it for Kirby Doc. Like, and it's kind of the opposite of what we said for Chicago, because the upside is obviously there, and you know, for the same reasons that I think it's a little risky for Chicago to move on, I do understand why Montreal should be enticed, but I don't know. And then there was other, like, rumors. I don't know if this was ever, like, we'll never know if this is official or not, but, like, that this move is part of the reason that they went and picked uh, Slavkovsky instead of Wright first because they knew they were going to have Kirby Doc, so they have Suzuki and Doc down the middle already, and they didn't want a third good centerman because, God forbid, and I wouldn't even call Doc a good centerman at this point. Is the thing? Yeah, that's but a pretty stupid reason. I just think like take, uh, right if that is the reason. All in all, they give up a fourth, a third, and Romanov to pick up Kirby Doc. But like that, it doesn't sound as bad. The fact that they could have had thirteen is yeah. Well, and obviously it's not like that, but like. I don't know. I'm very torn on this. I don't really understand the trade from any of the three teams' perspectives, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Doc seems like the kind of guy that Chicago should value more than anyone else. Yeah, and like, and so maybe, maybe I'm arguing, like, talking myself into why Montreal should be considered the winners of this trade because it's not like Montreal and Chicago are in drastically different positions here. Yeah, they're, they're both going to be rebuilding. And in fact, I would argue Montreal is now ahead, clearly ahead of Chicago. Way ahead. I'm lower um, on Slavkovsky than they are, clearly. But that is but something still, the Hawks don't have in their organization. or even Yeah, like the Hawks just picked first and 13th. And they did that because they gave up a top three pick from a couple years ago. And their best 
play or like second best player. Like, yeah. So, but yeah, I just, I'm, and so maybe I should be a little higher on this from the I just, it didn't make a ton of sense to me at all. And just in, like in general. Do you want to know a fun fact? I'd love to know a fun fact. <laughs> they could have, if they just didn't trade for Seth Jones last year, had a defenseman <laughs> who outscored Slavkovsky. Yeah. Not this, this past year, but got to have Seth Jones. Yeah, you have to have Seth Jones. That is good. That has to be going down. It doesn't, Seth Jones could play as like a solid top 10th best defenseman for the duration of that contract. And it still might be one of the worst trades we've seen in years. And I don't think Seth Jones will be a top 10 defenseman for the duration of that contract. Yeah, it just made no sense windows wise. Um, let's get to a quick, uh, we got about four more things to touch on. And then obviously the draft as a whole, I think we're approaching about an hour here, maybe a little over already. Uh, Duncan Keith retires. Um, not shocking, I would say. It sounded like it was about 50-50 heading into the offseason, but a massive help for the Edmonton Oilers as this gives them $5 million in cap space. And I got to get something on my chest. This league is so stupid sometimes. The fact, so this, him retiring was actually supposed to give Edmonton not only the, I think it was $5 million that his cap hit was, right? 5.75? Or two five yeah. or something like that. Five two was five, yeah, something. Like that. Also supposed to give them a three mil in bonus cap space as just like a weird way that the retention rules work. The league stepped in and said they're not honoring that, but Chicago still gets hit with a five million dollar cap hit of their own because he retired. That's so How weird. the fuck do you enforce one of these and not the other? They're the same contract. I, God bless people like Earl. This league's contract rules confuse the hell out of me. It's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> and like, I don't understand how it comes up that you had it in the CBA. You made the CBA. Like, you made this to punish it, but then you also added in this system where teams that trade for the contract will get a benefit if you retire. You, you can't not enforce that. If you're going to enforce the negative side, you have to let the teams that are yeah. smart enough. And I'm not trying to give Ken Holland a ton of credit here, but like you have to give the teams that even if it's accidentally smart, you have to give them the benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah. They, whether they backed into it or not, they still have it. And it would be one thing if it's like, yeah, we're not honoring that, but also like, we're just not like the, the whole like penalty for teams that sign these deals before the CBA came in, by the way. It's stupid, so we're taking that out too. That would be so much more understandable where it's like, yeah, neither of these are a thing, right? But you can't just say, no, we're keeping the negative recapture, but also you, Edmonton, you don't get the bonus, even though that was also in there. Yeah, like you don't get to just pick and choose. Oh, I would be livid if I was a Chicago fan. And I'd be, like, Edmonton obviously is probably just happy they don't have to pay Duncan Keith 5.25 for another year, but I would still not be happy if I was an Edmonton fan. Yeah, it'd be annoying. Although they actually have enough money to get like a goalie now. Edmonton, so we'll get to them in a second because they actually had a great weekend for themselves, I would say. Um, but yeah, like it's just, it's so stupid to me. But anyways, um, regardless, I think it's it's easy to say, you know, congrats to Duncan Keith on a great career. Obviously the yep. last couple of years were not uh, what peak Duncan Keith was, but peak Duncan Keith was one of the best defensemen we've seen in a long time. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't get remembered by the end because I highly doubt he will. The ultimate playoff warrior. 
deserving yeah. or not, I'm reasonably certain he'll be a Hall of Famer and all of those things. So oh, he good for him. Great career. For, he'll be a first ballot, right? Yeah, I would think all the big multiple, guys will be in. Multiple Stanley Cup, three Stanley Cups. I think he has a um, – he won an MVP, right? Yeah, Conn Smythe in 2015. He has a Conn Two Norris trophies. He only has one. I'm looking at it right now. Conn Smythe in 2014-15, a Norris in 2009-2010, a Norris in 2013-14, multiple gold medals with Team Canada. This like That's a lock. Slam dunk. First ballot Hall of Famer. I think he might even be like, I'm very hashtag small hall kind of guy, but he would easily, yeah. I think, be in like a small hall of fame too. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so yeah, obviously an absolutely amazing career. Just the those, those playoff runs from like 2010 to 2015 were just absolutely insane. He would just be playing upwards of like 30 minutes a night and then just come out, play like a triple OT game, and then the next night be fine to play another 28. Just absolutely crazy what his peak was. Yeah, he was a sicko for that. And watching, remember like those old LA series too, where their mm-hmm. goal was to clearly like they knew the Hawks were only playing three defensemen. So him, Seabrook, and Olmerson were just getting killed every time they touched the puck and they yeah. just kept playing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, absolutely amazing career. Obviously, the end, he was very not good, but the peak was just absolutely insane. Um, so, all right, let's get to another uh, trade. And I said, speaking of the Edmonton Oilers, well, they offload some cap space, uh, $3.2 million for Zach Cassian. Uh, they also sent the first round pick 29th overall, and then a 2024 third and a 2025 second. Ken Holland is clearly this long-term job. I'm here. And if we don't succeed, I'm screwed in three years. Anyways, uh, they do pick up the 32 overall pick. So they moved down, um, just three slots this year, but then obviously give up a third and a second as well. Um, so, like, to me, you basically gave up a third and a second to move Cassian's money um, is kind of how I look at it. Like, three picks at the end of round one is really not a big gap, I would have to guess, from any draft value chart. No, that would be almost negligible. Yes, Um but I mean, now, so they already don't have their fourth this year. They don't have their third or seventh next year, and they don't have their second in 2025. So Ken Holland is clearly, and not shockingly, all in on this. Um, but as you said, this now gives them $15.8 million in cap space for this offseason. Uh, Pujarvi sounds like he's going to be out the door. Don't really agree with that, but whatever. Yeah, Momoto's going to be their big RFA to sign then. Ryan McLeod shouldn't cost too much. Um, but yeah, now, and they're going to go find a goalie probably now. So. And they, they honestly, they have enough to probably sign a goalie and probably sign a Vander Kane to something if they really want to, or maybe another player, right? Like I would go with another player maybe, but they sound pretty in on a Vander Kane. Yeah, it sounds like that's a certainty essentially. Um, on the other side of things, I, I love Arizona, what Arizona's doing, man. Yeah. Yeah, they, Arizona is on one. Yes, and like, so obviously we, like they had like, I think it was 11 picks in the first three rounds or something this year, and they traded up, yeah. and we'll get to, we can get to them when we get to the draft. Or, or, we can talk about them now quick, because we're really, we're starting to run out of time here, but there's only two more moves. Yeah. Um, they took this, with this trade, they obviously move up three spots, which again, not a massive value. But they get future picks, which is the biggest thing in terms of like, I feel like people always look over this as like, 
oh, well, you have so many draft picks. Why would you want more? It's like, so you can keep restocking the cupboard because let's say Arizona is actually good in 2025. And, or like, you know, play, like just trying to turn around, like where Ottawa is heading into this year or whatever, right? Like they have some high picks now. They want to be good. They want to be like the Leafs of 2016 kind of thing. Well, they still have a first and three seconds as it is right now. If they don't move any other things as long as, as well as three seconds of the 2024 draft and three thirds in that draft. So they'll probably have a good amount of like decent prospects where they can move and add to their team to you know get in and out of trouble as they need, as they start to become good again. Yeah. Yeah. They've stocked the cupboards and you know, at some point they're unloading that clip, like some off seasons equivalent of the Fiala trade will be that. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. And um, you know, even this draft, they had so many picks that they, they flipped, they went from 27 to 11. They gave up 34 and 45 for that. That's a little aggressive to me, but I do like Connor geeky as a player. Uh, I don't know if your model was high on him or not, but uh, it has. That sounds like a no. Yeah, I don't really like to talk about the negatives in the model because it feels weird to just like dump on these seventeen-year-olds or whatever. But I mean, it's it's not like it was disastrous. I would not have either picked him at eleven or traded up for him. Well, that's and what I'll say. Kamel was still on the board at that time too, right? Like Kamel and Lakir Mackey, like yeah. really high upside guys, which they should probably have been targeting. Yeah, which so and that's fair. And that's what I was about to get to on the other side of things is like this was Greer's first trade as San Jose's GM, our first move, really. Yep. I really love this for San Jose. Yeah. Like I think there's a real like, just a smart deal. They get two extra prospects. And, and again, like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, like this is what you should be doing. If your team like San Jose, that is cap trapped and honestly hasn't had many picks because you trade a lot of them away. So love it from San Jose's perspective. 100%. Um, but yeah, yeah for like Arizona, sure. like, this is just kind of like, this is the ability you have. And again, maybe I wouldn't suggest trading up, especially every year or anything like that, but like, yeah. Let's say a dude falls who they had fifth on their board next year to 11th again. They still have the ammo to go do this again. Yeah. Now, you've got to be careful. But the thing I love about the trade with Edmonton is that they didn't just take more picks this year or whatever. They're spreading it out. How many times did we see Vegas get out of trouble because they had a random fourth round pick that, like, the Penguins gave them in the expansion draft for four years later or whatever? Yeah. Right. Three seconds over the 2024 and 2025 season. That's nuts. Yeah. Like that. And then, you know, they're going to get more picks when they flip some of the guys that they've been stockpiling lately. You know, like Clayton Keller was a talk and Chitron's definitely going to move. They're going to get picks for that. But, you know, they're going to flip guys like Nick Ritchie at the deadline or whatever. Or, you know, even um, I'm, I'm trying to, they don't really have a ton of it, but like Shane Gostas bear, they're probably going to eat half of that salary. And I bet you they get like a third of the deadline for him as well. So it's, you know, it's coming that they're going to have more picks over the next couple of years too. Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, yeah, really like that move from Arizona uh, in terms of the trade. Let's get to one more. Uh, we probably should have lumped this in with the Chicago stuff, but the Leafs trade Peter Morazic and a first round pick is what the media told me. And they <laughs> did mention to what comes back the other way. So I'm going to leave it at that as well. Um, and, and we'll see what people say. <laughs> yep. Dumping a first to get rid of Morazic. That's it. Yep. They, uh, yep. Peter Morazic alongside first round pick. They did it again. Yep. 
It's a goddamn Dubas out. Dubas out the Patrick Marlowe trade 2.0. No, of course not. Like, so they trade the 25th overall pick, which by definition is a first round pick for a 2022 second round pick, which was the 38th overall pick. So they move down 13 slots and get out of all of Peter Morazic's 3.8 for two more years salary. Uh, they don't retain anything. So it's completely freed up. Um, I really like this deal from, from Toronto's, especially when we see what the Cassian was literally a minute later where they had to give up a second and a third um, and move down a couple slots as well. Uh, you know, like Toronto moved down 10 less spots or sorry, 10 more spots, but also didn't have to give up a second or a third. Yeah. Which, they won for uh, quantity over quality low in the draft, which is smart. Yeah. I would assume the value of a second and a third are probably higher than the 10 picks between 28 and 38 or whatever. Oh, absolutely. So I really do. I, I like this trade from Nubis in terms of getting it out. I, I think it's absolutely fair to like people have been pointing out. He's the one who signed the contract. So it's kind of one of those things where you have to take it with a grain of salt because you shouldn't be giving a guy too, too much credit for getting out of a contract he signed. But at the same time, it's better than the alternative of doubling down on a mistake and trying to make it work, which honestly, this was one of the few moves I think for Chicago, I, they probably should have held the least uh, foot to the flame a little more, but I think Peter Morazic is a fine bounce back candidate in terms of like, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets flipped at some other point, whether that's this year or next year, because he doesn't look quite as bad as he did in Toronto. Yeah. I I would be a little underwhelmed for Chicago just because. Especially when you see what literally Arizona gets two minutes later for taking a very similar contract. Yeah. A hundred percent. But there's a decent chance for Isaac's a third round pick at the deadline or whatever too. So. Yeah, for sure. Or like an off next off. Let's say he rebuilds his value has like a nine Oh eight on a horrible Chicago team or whatever this year. Some teams absolutely giving up like a third rounder next offseason for him. Like the yeah, who's actually this year, right? Yeah, that's way more likely than at the deadline. That is definitely the, the scenario you look for. Yeah. So um I, I definitely think it's fair to say it's a little underwhelming because Cassian had 3.2 for two years. Uh uh Marazzi had 3.8 for two years. So you're actually eating more money as well. But um that's one of the things that's like at least they're at least they're gaining and like they they got they went up in the draft. And like for as much as we say it's good for Toronto, like the downside of having Morazic on your books for Chicago is nothing. If yep. anything, if he's a shit goalie, that helps your cause in tanking for the next two years. Yeah. So I, I think it's a fair move. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting with the least do as well. It kind of sounds like they might be trading for Matt Murray. Um, that sounds closer and closer to happening. I don't know. Okay. We'll get, I don't want to talk too long on this because we're, again, we're going really long here, but I think Matt Murray is a bounce back candidate is an okay bet if you can get Ottawa to retain half and another team to retain some. Like, if you get Matt Murray in the range of $1.8 to $3 million and have him as your 1B in a tandem, I don't think that's a bad bet to make, to be honest. Yeah, I know something I really... It works well for guys like Goudreau when they explode. And it can work poorly too. I tend to cling to priors a lot more than most people. So that might get me killed here. But yeah, I don't hate Murray as long as he's cheap. And like even this year, he was okay. His biggest problem was he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. 
Well, he wasn't like, well, he started a little rough and then he went down to the AHL. And that's, that's the thing everyone cites. Like, oh, you just picked up a guy. They're going to be picking up a guy who's in the AHL. It's like, yes, he was. And then he came back and played like really good hockey for granted a very short stretch. So you shouldn't be putting all your eggs in this basket. But like, if you can get him at $2.8 million or something like that, and it doesn't cost you much. And that'll be the interesting thing to see because I've seen, I'm obviously on both Ottawa and Toronto Twitter, both sides have been like, we shouldn't be the ones giving stuff up here because Ottawa Twitter is like, you should win this trade every day of the week. Toronto's so desperate for a goalie. And Toronto side of things is Ottawa's so desperate to get on this contract. There's no way you should get anything up. You should win this trade every day of the week. So I think one of these sides are going to be kind of disappointed. And both of them have really good points. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, I tend to lean, and maybe this, there's definitely bias included in here. I kind of tend to lean that from a purely business perspective, Toronto – no, you know what? I don't think I do. Because I, I saw someone say, like, if they're trading for Murray, he's going to be the – they must think he's their starter. And I don't think that's true either. I think they're no, trading you- for Murray. They're looking for another guy probably in the four mil range, like a Varlamov yeah. or a Cam Talbot, someone like that. Yeah. I would think you're thinking of Murray as a 1A, 1B if you do that. One other yeah. thing, Murray's contract's backloaded. Yeah, so and, and that's why I said if you're just looking at business-wise, uh, I think it's maybe Toronto needs it more. But, yeah, when you add in the money, I do think it's Ottawa. Although, I don't know, it's going to be interesting because they did announce that they are going to have a budget of 75 mil this year, which is like, I think, 25 million higher than it was last year. They had like an internal budget of like $52 million in actual cash last year. It was, it was disgustingly low. Um, it, it might be even less than that, to be honest. But So it'll be interesting to see if like Ottawa's a little more okay with like, hey, we don't actually need to get off this contract. But um, that'll be something we can leave for another episode if it does happen. Um, the only other move I want to get to quick, uh, speaking of another goalie, uh, Vita Vanacek goes from the Washington Capitals to the New Jersey Devils, uh, along with a second-round pick, 46 overall, uh, and then they send 37 overall and 70. So 37 overall this year and 70 overall this year for 46 and Vanacek. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I think Washington, it's fine. I don't really think Vanacek – it's clear they still kind of have some hope in Samsonov and maybe they'll even find a, they want to find a second guy for New Jersey. It kind of seems like they might run a Vanacek um, Blackwood tandem. Yeah. Which and, run at your own risk. Yeah. Like, and like Vanacek's an RFA, so they still need to resign him. I don't know what that trade looks like, but they also have Jonathan Bernie under contract for four mil one more year. He's on IR right now. So maybe he's not going to be healthy enough to start. But, like, either or of Bernier Vanacek and Blackwood Vanacek, I don't really think that's a great combo to secure your way into a playoff spot or anything. Not unless the Metro is looking really rough, which is possible, to be fair. It is possible. But, like, I, I don't know. With Pittsburgh keeping Latang, I have more faith than Pittsburgh not completely falling off this year. Yeah, and – it's worth noting. I feel like betting on the division sucking is a reason for you to get better. Isn't the greatest process. Yes, exactly. I would definitely agree. So I don't really know. Maybe we'll wait until we see his salary. It is possible, like, if Bernie is ready to start the year, they flip Blackwood and, like, I just, I don't, like, that's not the great, like, they're definitely, it kind of seems like they're just hoping one of these guys are okay. And they both have shown, like, 
parts of being okay before. So maybe it's not like the worst bet, but for a team that feels like they probably desperately need to get better, it's kind of aggressive. Yeah, it seemed unnecessary to me. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, the only thing I had to talk about was quickly, like, broad thoughts on the draft. Uh, was there any teams you thought won or lost? And uh, obviously, we need to talk about quick. Shane Wright doesn't go first. He was fourth overall. Uh, we've kind of mentioned on Slavkovsky. I don't – not really sold on the pick at all. I think we both talked about this before the draft, that, you know, his production is scary. Uh, Nemec going second. I really love Nemec as a prospect. I want him to be the guy who slipped to, to seven for auto to grab. Um, I think it's fine in a vacuum, but with Shane right on the board, the process of we already have Hishay and Hughes, how can we have another good center is just so flawed to me. Yeah, that's tough. If you're, if the logic is look, Nemec's a defenseman scoring at historic rates, we love the upside. Sure. But if you're passing on right, because you think you have too many centers, a position that everybody thinks is the most valuable in the league. That is not good. And, and who knows? Maybe it was the first one, but that's what everyone seemed to justify the second one with. So something yeah. tells me at least a little bit of that had to come from someone in the team. Well, apparently, this is from Pronman. They were straight up not taking it right. If the Canadians took right, they were taking Slavkovsky, but they were never planning on taking Shane right. It See, was always... Or that that just seems like that process to me. I yeah, mean, unless tough. unless you just don't think Shane Wright is that good of a player, but kind of Seattle feels. Like, Seattle's got yeah. a lot of smart people in the organization. Yeah, well, and like again, like I don't like the assignment. it could absolutely work out, and I still think it probably wouldn't be the smartest process in the world. You know? Yeah. Just that idea. Yeah. And then Logan Cooley goes third, which again, like people were high on Logan Cooley at times, but like. Over Shane Wright, dude. Same yeah, position I like, too. I, like I heard it was Gordon Miller. I think was talking. He said he had heard a rumor that Arizona might want to be building around American-born players, which is just if that's what you're doing, you're bounding yourself to fail. Just yeah. bounding yourself to fail. Like Wright is taller, was better offensively, is apparently a two-way center. Uh, he was slightly older, but not that much. Like every box goes right, statistically at least. I know Cooley yeah. is apparently more flashy, but more flashy doesn't compensate for the fact that Wright outscored him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so I, I I I don't get that one at all. Um do you have any guys you thought were winners or losers at the draft? I thought my big winner was probably Seattle. Getting right, obviously, but then obviously uh, Jagger Furcus in uh, 35th overall. That was a guy who seemed to drop and had been much higher on most people's boards. So I think that's a pretty fine pickup at 35. Yeah. When I weigh by the leverage of the pick, which I think is the smartest way to look at a draft, because obviously crushing a top five pick is more meaningful than crushing the seventh rounder. The big winners are Nashville for mm-hmm. getting Joaquin Kemmel. Uh, best prospect in the draft relative to his draft position, in my opinion, and they got him at 17 or 19. Whatever 17, yep. Uh, Seattle with Wright, and then the guy you mentioned, I forget his name. Jagger Furcus. Just Jagger Awesome name, regardless yeah. of how good he is. Buffalo, my model really likes, mm-hmm. and then Kemmel 
got a lot of the attention, but Jonathan Lecky Mackey to Vancouver is a very Camel-esque pick that went a little under the radar. Hmm. So there you go. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to say other than that. I'm, yeah. Also, I'm most of really good. The computer boys. Uh, yes, Columbus. Well. I, I saw people, especially um, Patrick Bacon. He had where he was ranking. All, all of Columbus's picks were just like way higher than what they were ranked. It seemed like. Yeah, they jump off the page as well. You can. I'll just say through my stuff, you can tell who's invested in people that did public analytics. Yeah. So um, the one I'm going to be really interested to see is uh, how Brad Lambert turns out in Winnipeg. Yeah, that was an interesting one. I'm somewhat surprised he fell. I well, he's been his stock's been falling all year. So oh yeah, like because it was him and Wright heading into the year, and he just had a disaster. Like it's not like he scored at a good rate looking at by the looks of it either. So no, he didn't. Like my my stuff would still have him as the kind of player who tends to do worse than his draft position. Interesting. Maybe he so like, breaks the curve. You're like, so your model has him worse than the 30th overall pick. Yeah. Oh, that now, is really interesting. Now that's anchored to draft position. Whereas, because nice. like uh, hockey prospecting, and I think the couple of projections have him like not even in the top 300 of this class. Yeah. Which, well, so that's the big thing is like, because they I, wouldn't tell you he's that bad. It's just what purely a model of what, but still. Yeah. Yeah, and then that's a big thing of like, because it probably weighs so heavy and fairly enough to the draft year as well, right? But like, yeah, we've seen it a couple times in football, especially with like safeties. It's a big thing in football where it's like a guy will look really good in his rookie season and then might not actually look that good for like years two and three of his college career, but he still gets taken. Like the guy who got taken fourth overall this year, or third overall was it? Um, the cornerback. Oh yeah. Um, but basically the idea Sauce is like. Gardner? Yeah, uh, no, Sauce was fourth, wasn't he? Ah, shoot, sorry. I'm going to look it up. Um, But basically the idea is like, you've shown elite play at the college level at one point. It doesn't matter to the team that it was that year, like the most recent year. Um, They still see that. They know that talent is there. It's got to be there somewhere. It had happened. The question is, can you find it again for the NHL level? I'm kind of curious to see if that's the same idea with... uh, um, a guy like Brad Lambert, where it's like he seemed to, like everyone was stupid high on this guy going into the year. So was it just you know maybe a bad year? And obviously, like I'm not expecting him to be like the best player in the draft or anything like that. But can he outperform his draft position because he had shown that talent at a different time earlier in earlier seasons? Uh, it was Derek Stingley Jr. By the way, is the oh um, Stingley, yeah, 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 You're right. And then the yeah, nice part so, about Lambert is so like was Slavkovsky. I mean. I, I haven't scouted the guy or anything, but I always, when you hear toolsy and then you look at the page and you see he's six, four, that should be a huge ass red flag to you. Yeah. With Lambert, you hear toolsy and he's six feet tall, like 180 pounds. I'm more willing to buy it. I'm less worried by the fact that you're trying to justify it because Lambert doesn't physically profile as a guy who gets overdrafted. He's just, underwhelmed productions so when people are actually going that far for a guy that doesn't look the part it means the tools must be pretty nuts if you watch it 
Yeah, like I with well, and like so the biggest thing I again I've never scouted him personally, but I've seen a lot of knock on his hockey IQ was the massive thing with Lambert, where it's like like there were some harsh quotes on like just saying he basically was an idiot with the puck at times. Like he could not read a play. So, so it's like super talent, but you could hopefully teach that. You would, you would hope so. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, we went really long this week, but uh, that's okay. There was a lot to, to hit on. I think next week we will probably have a long episode too. We might even split it up into two like we've done before and go east-west or something. But free agency should be nuts this week. I'm really looking forward to it. This is some of the most fun time, weirdly enough, in the calendar where the, the season ends. It kind of seems strange, but this is when all the chaos happens, obviously. So um yeah we'll uh, be back at you next week we're open probably late this week uh this will be going out monday we're hoping that we're going to record wednesday night maybe thursday if there's a couple big rfas or a ufas left sorry uh and then so if we record wednesday it'll probably be out thursday if we record thursday it'll probably be out friday maybe saturday so um yeah thank you everyone so much for listening uh, as always you can find all of chase's work at actionnetwork.com and uh, cm hockey 66 uh, on Twitter, you can find me at NHL Sense and stuff on Twitter and lastwordonhockey.com for my writing. Uh, I wrote about the Colin White buyout last week and just gave my thoughts on it quick. So I finally got something out. And Chase has been publishing a ton of content lately as well. So uh, make sure you go check that out at actionnetwork.com. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week.